Wings for the game. Boom. Cash back. New lucky jersey. Boom. Cash back. Even a last-minute ice run can score you some cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, we said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who's taking the W, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees? Period. I'm telling you, this one is a game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Well, I can honestly say this is our first episode of the VanCast from palm springs or should we call it tom springs because that's where our good friend thomas drance is today after missing the last three games and wouldn't you know it thomas drance missed the last three games and the canucks won all three which speaks volumes about where this whole you know where, where the whole beef is between you and the vips and wanting them to succeed and not wanting them to succeed and who's right but hey look it's good to hear from you and and i hope you and wallace and and laura are really enjoying your vacation we are. And, and look, enjoying the uh, Canucks' latest dead cat bounce. Uh, they've made it interesting again, I guess. No, they have I mean, well, a little it's too bit. Much. Like, it's, 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 they made it interesting earlier. Like, we'll, we'll give them that that they did before that homestand. But right now, given the odds and what they need to do, sure. this isn't interesting. This is fantasy. But, 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 but it's far on. But 11, uh, I mean, three games ago, it was like, well, the Canucks needed need to win something like 11 in a row to make the playoffs. And then they went three in a row and it's like, well, now the Canucks need to win eight in a row. So it's like, at least they're doing what they had to do to keep this conversation on the back burner, at least. And, you know, you look at you look at this week shaping up. It's not a very dense week for the team. They have the weekend off next weekend, taking a page out of my book. And they've also got, you know, Arizona and the Vegas Golden Knights this week. Dallas has plays an extra game right before the two teams meet, you know, basically a week today. And at that point, Dallas will have used their games in hand. So if Vancouver can win both of their games and Dallas can win, you know, just one of their three and that's, you know, possible. I mean, one of their opponents is the lightning, right? Uh, One of their opponents is the wild. It's not, it's not like they've got an easy schedule. If they take two of six points this week and the Canucks take all four of theirs, they could face a game against the Dallas Stars 
and it's a, a four point swing game and they're four points back. I, I mean, that at the very least would be another meaningful game that they could strive to so long as they don't slip at all and get some help. Um, yeah. Is it likely? No. But is it potentially interesting? I think so. And and this brings me to a to a point like I've been away, right? I haven't been talking to people the same way that I would when I'm around the team, right? I'm not bugging players one-on-one. I'm not, um, you know, blowing up management or coaching staff's phone to ask this or that. So I've been a little bit removed, but I've been watching with great interest the league itself and the NBA, right? I always watch the NBA pretty closely. You know, You know my love for basketball. And as we get to the nitty-gritty of the season, it kind of feels like the end of the the last nine games, basically, for most teams, things are so settled in the NHL. Like, where's the real drama? You know, I mean, we can contort ourselves into thinking that the Canucks are, like, explaining how the Canucks have a chance or maybe even have a chance to just make it interesting. But there's nothing meaningful that can be really determined between now and the end of the season, it feels to me, in either division. I mean... Can LA hold off Vegas, I guess, is sort of a storyline. Can Vegas make the playoffs is a storyline. And that's it. That's all we've got across the entire league. And it's been settled for a month, really. Longer. The East's been settled for months, like for forever. And it just occurs to me as I await the lines on the NBA play-in tournament, that like what we're seeing right now with the Canucks and the Islanders to a lesser extent in the East, right? And Vegas kind of too, is the case for why the NHL should adopt a play-in style tournament, the likes of which both Major League Baseball and the NBA have already implemented. And like you think about a team like Vancouver who starts the first 25 games as one of the worst teams in the league and then kind of finds their footing and starts to starts to win games, starts to lean on some high-end finishing talent and some excellent goaltending to, you know, steal some wins. Steal a lot of wins. <laughs> wins in bulk. Like, Vancouver is the team, the classic team, that you'd love to see get a coin flip game, in my view, against, against another couple of teams. You know, it wouldn't be easy. Like, the Canucks where you're perched right now, if you structured a play-in tournament like the NBA, so you have the wildcard teams, right? Right now you have two wildcard teams and they just go right into the playoffs and play the division winners. Now, in the NBA, if you adopted the NBA model, you'd instead have four wildcard teams who would go into a playoff sort of makeshift playoff tournament and you'd have the seventh and the eighth seed sort of, sort of, um, sort of aside, the... 9 and 10, or, or yeah, the 9 and 10 would play one another. The winner of the 9-10 game would go to play the loser of the 7 and 8 game, and that team would become the 8th seed. And then the 7th and 8th, so the top two wildcard teams would play a game, and the winner of that series would just go and play the second wildcard team. So it's like you'd have these four teams in the mix. The teams that finish outside what we'd call the normal playoff picture would still need to win two additional games just to get to game one of the Stanley Cup playoffs. We've already done a playoff tournament in the bubble. It's not like the NHL playoffs is sacrosanct and has the Stanley Cup has never been awarded in any other format but seven times four. You know, like we've had expansion. We've gone through all sorts of permutations. And 
like right now, the drama of this week for the Canucks would have been like they passed Winnipeg. You know what I mean? To get into that play in spot, uh, we'd be looking at, you know, can they can they get home ice advantage in the play in game? And and I also think adopting this would make the regular season matter more, not less. Like it would give teams that don't start strong a chance to make up ground as opposed to the way that we are sort of positioned right now where it's like every team that's going to make the playoffs, you know, we've we've known since basically mid-January, right? I mean, the Ducks fell out. That's it. That's like basically the only material change in the playoff leaderboard between mid-January and now. Um, this would make it matter more and would reward the division winners even more significantly because like imagine you're hosting a team that's had to play two games like they're playing their third game in four nights with travel and you're playing your playoff home opener like that's a huge advantage you're you're far more materially putting your finger on the scale to benefit the team that was best over 82 which the NHL desperately needs to do and i think you're giving a device to teams that start slow teams like Vancouver or the New York Islanders in the east to actually make up enough ground that they at least have a fighting shot, a coin flip matchup, single game elimination hockey, which, by the way, there's nothing better than single game elimination hockey um, to, to get a chance to play for your playoff lives. Like, what problem does this not solve? And and doesn't the fact that the Canucks have sort of played well o- over the course of the past week, like uh, once again, sort of giving themselves a chance, but not really a chance like that could that could mean something. In a league that was structured somewhat differently, it just doesn't really in our current reality. And I feel like they're a perfect example of of why the NHL should pretty strongly consider implementing a different type of playoff format that expands the field. Yeah. And I mean, when you look at uh, the NBA that one year and it was it was the Lakers and Golden State, right? Um you know, right there in the in the play-in situation, and uh, if you if you wind up stumbling into that type of matchup, I mean, the ratings are off the charts for something like yeah. that. So, and you're right. I mean, you, you only have to take one look at the medal round in the Olympics. And yes, I understand those are the best players in the world, but you get some of those in a potential play-in here as well. Single elimination hockey special. It's a lot of fun. And um, look, baseball changed. Baseball will never change, but they changed. Right. I mean, they had the most elitist playoff format going, which I loved, by the way. Right. Because it really meant something to get in. But it, there certainly was the impact of a lot having been decided very early in the process and right. there being a, very little drama at the end. But I mean, certainly you got the best on best at the end of it all. Um, but the pandemic gave them a different option and a different way of looking at stuff. And they changed. First, they changed by adding a wild card, you know, years back. And now they they took it one step further uh, and made their playoffs a lot like the rest. And uh, you saw basketball do it. So like the pandemic kind of gave everybody a reason to reevaluate what they were doing. Uh, hockey, you know, I, I've been awfully critical of the NHL and I'll not take any of it back just on a number of topics, but this is kind of one of them. They would be slow to look at something like this and have the obvious hit them in the face, right? And yeah. we're not just saying this because the Canucks did really well in the bubble in a play-in situation and, and those weren't single elimination games. Um these could be. It could be a lot of fun. Like I, I don't know what the downside is because you're still talking about teams that are above 500, like the NHL's version of 500 yeah. as it relates to points percentage. But you know, it, it's not like you're looking at bottom feeder teams making it in, 
right? Like you're looking at teams that ultimately played well down the stretch, were capable of causing an upset or two. Uh, and I think it'd be a good thing. And, and, and as you, you know, when you look at the format, right, it's not seven versus 10, eight versus nine. That's not how they do it in the NBA. If you're seven or an eight, it's basically double elimination for you. You win, you're yep. in, you lose, you got one more chance to get in, right? Yep. And if you're nine and 10, you got to win twice to get in, which isn't yep. the end of the world relative to a seven game tournament, right? Or a seven game series, I should say. But yeah, I mean, it, it, look, it's it's been a big time win for the NBA and there's no reason it would be any different for a league that has the same playoff dynamic where you're used to a best of seven game series, uh, you know, the same number of games relatively, 84 versus 82. Like when you look at playoff structure between the NBA and the NHL, so much of it lines up. It's been a winner in the NBA. It's more to bet on. Oh, wait, the NHL doesn't care about betting. And, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, what's, it's what's the downside other than the fact the NHL is archaic? Well, and the fact that the like the NBA is going to dominate the conversation, the sporting conversation in the United States, like on ESPN, which is an NHL rights holder, you know, and like what 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 do you even have to discuss right now if you're the NHL? Now, if you had a plan format, you'd be like Boston and Tampa. That's a big horse race to avoid the play in. Right. You'd be like Pittsburgh, Washington. Can Washington catch Pittsburgh? You know, they've got the two games in hand. It's a four point deficit. Can they avoid the play in? Like, that would be interesting. There'd be interesting drama uh, playing out there. And then you'd have this race between Vancouver, Vegas, and Winnipeg. All three teams more likely than not to miss at this juncture, although Vegas, obviously, uh, a more realistic shot than the other two. Um, but instead, it would be like a race. And, like, how interesting would that be? Uh, if you get a Winnipeg-Vegas play-in game and you get a Columbus-New you know, New York Islanders play-in game um follow you know with a boston washington and a dallas nashville like come on like you can do a you can do a few days of content they're going to give all these players two or three days off before the playoffs open anyway that's how it always goes um fill it fill it with games and then throw more tired teams at the elite of the elite in the nhl and let them put on a show uh, and be properly rewarded for their success over 82 i i, I just it's such a no-brainer to me, and as I was as I was watching from afar this Canucks week play out, I was just thinking to myself, like, I'm watching these games, and this team is still not really controlling play overall. You know, I mean, I see moments of it. Like, I liked the first period against Vegas. Uh, I liked a lot of what I saw against an Arizona Coyotes team that's clearly playing out the string, starting a goaltender in Hari Sateri, who hasn't played in the NHL in years. Um, but... At the end of the day, why did the Canucks win three in a row last week? Well, they shot 13% and they and they got 960 goaltending. And it's like, you know, you look at the underlying numbers and it's like a 51% expected goals. And it's like, that's not great. That's still not great. And this is the top of their game. Like, they're so reliant on this ephemeral stuff. So I'm watching this and I'm like, yeah, well, I still don't. You also got to give them credit for the fact that they did a lot of this without Besser and Hughes, right? So th that does... That does add to it when you say it's the top of their game, not necessarily given who they're playing at this point. Sure. But I'm just saying, I'm just saying, like, I'm not going to ladle a ton of credit for a team that's continuing to be too reliant, like unsustainably reliant on percentages to to get wins. You know, it's not like they came out and played the types of games that would show me that this group only needs tweaks. 
You know what I mean? Like, no, no, yeah, we, we know, but I like, I, there is context on the other side as well, right? Because you look at this last game, which they played poorly against San Jose and still wanted to winning. They were 0 for 7 in the power play. And this power play under Boudreaux has been a lot better than that, right? Like, you would have thought that um, based on their trends, that it shouldn't have been that close given the opportunities they had in the power play. So, there's been some bad as far as the numbers are concerned relative to what we've come to come to see of late, right? Yeah, I mean, for sure. And and missing two of your three mainstay power play guys is going to is going to hurt. But the but the you know, I mean, first of all, Alex Chason's done an excellent he's been an excellent fill-in, right? Like there are yeah. there's probably an argument to be made, not that the power play, not that PP1 is better with Chason than Besser, but that PP1 is very nearly as dangerous with well, chase you, on you as can, Besser. You can question whether or not, like, yes, Besser is a better player than than Alex Chason. However, is he a better net front presence in the power play? Like, just in terms of that role specifically, you know, he did well at it at Edmonton. Uh, you know, for for Besser, it's been an adjustment because he would certainly prefer to play the flanks and take shots. Um, so that specific role, who's better? Brock Besser. You think so? Yeah, I do. Uh, be, the thing about Besser versus Chase on on the power play, if you look at the on ice metrics, okay, they they favor Besser in a couple of areas and they favor Chase on in a couple areas. One area that they favor Besser is overall shot attempts, which is what I like the most for power plays to, to evaluate something like um, a, a pl- an individual player's on ice impact on on the flow of a power play because there's so many more attempts than there are shots or scoring chances or goals right I, I like the wider sample the fact that the Canucks have a higher shot attempt rate with Besser on the ice than they do with Chase on on the power play um, yeah of course it reflects that Besser's more commonly been with PP1 but Chase on spent a lot of time there too so I don't I don't th- I think it sort of comes out in the wash a fair bit and I do think the Besser's ability as a playmaker and to make plays with his feet and as a puck carrier like helps you gain entry to the zone which for me is like what the Canucks are worst at on the power play right their zone entry game in particular has been a slog to watch this season and then they've got a ton of lethal finishers when they're set up so I prefer Besser because of that I also think that Besser's finishing ability and playmaking ability from down low offsets the fact that Chase on's the bigger body and the guy you'd probably rather have both screening the goaltender and going into the boards uh, to, to, to win retrievals. Um, I think Besser's just overall skill game is more beneficial than Chase on's size, uh, effectively. And I think that shows up because when you look at Chase on's uh, on ice, like the team's shooting percentage with Chase, Chase on on the ice versus Besser, Besser's is like 17.5%, Chase on's like 12.5%. So it's not like Chase On's advantages as a screener and in the dirty areas have translated to the team converting on a higher clip of their chances. Like at the end of the day, just have your best shooters all on the ice together and maximize their opportunities by having a power play that gains entry quickly and moves the puck efficiently. Like that's the whole task at hand. And that's a task that Besser is ultimately better suited to, even if in your mind's eye, Chase On makes more sense as like a prototypical net front guy. Good stuff. Uh, we'll get into a few of the players that we haven't had a chance to talk a lot about this season on the other side. First, we do want to take a quick break. Wings for the game. Boom. Cash back. New lucky jersey. Boom. Cash back. 
Even a last-minute ice run can score you some cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, we said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who's taking a W, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees? Period. I'm telling you, this one is a game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So we touched a little bit on Alex Chason, who, you know, in his last five games, you got to love what he's given, right? I mean, uh, three goals. He's had uh, seven points, I believe it is, in the last five games. He's coming on strong. Sorry, let let me do that again. That's four goals uh, and seven points in the last five games. Um, There was... Not much there early in the year. Uh, Part of it was opportunity. There were times he was a healthy scratch. And, you know, a lot of us had said early on that we've seen all we need to see from Alex Chason. Can we move on, give some younger players an opportunity? But he's performing. Has he done enough to make you believe he'll be a valuable part of this team and they need to re-sign him next year? I mean, sure. At the right number, which is roughly what he's at this year. Yep. Um, you know, I I have no quarrel with Alex Chason. I think one of the issues this team has to be really aware of, though, is if you're bringing back Jason Dickinson and Tanner Pearson and Alex Chason, you know, team speed is a very delicate thing in the NHL. You have one or two guys who aren't particularly fast and it can change the entire complexion of your lineup. And you look at some of the teams that do not have those skaters. Like I look at Tampa Bay. I don't know. I don't know if you watched the Tampa Bay Toronto game last week, but I've been saying for a long time that I I think, you know, I think, you know, if I did or didn't, (laughs) I've been saying for a long time that I think Tampa Bay's bottom six speed is going to be an issue. And then they went out at the deadline and, and they got slower because they traded Matthew Joseph, who's got high end speed. And they and they brought in some guys who I really like, right? Like Nick Paul. I voted for Nick Paul. Nick Paul was on my Selkie ballot last year, right? Like you might not find a bigger Nick Paul fan than me. Um, I also really like Brandon Hagel, right? Like I was I was way up on the Brandon Hagel is going to be a premium trade forward uh, or trade target. Um prior to this deadline and that came to bear that came to pass now the problem with those guys is you add them into a mix with like colton point pat maroon Corey perry pierre edward belmar and you've kind of got six guys all five at least five of them are like really good like guys that i would totally put on you know undervalued targets lists and advocate for as useful pieces but together there's just no plus speed there it's just nothing that's going to be able to keep up with any number of forwards that you can say, you know, Verhage, uh, Mikhaev, like uh, all these forwards that they're going to have to play if they're going to come out of the Atlantic. Like they're, they just don't have the pace. They just don't have the pace. 
And I do worry, like if you're a Canucks team that's going to have, you know, Vasily Podkolzin's not a plus skater. Um, Connor Garland, not a plus skater. Brock Besser, not a plus skater. Uh, JT Miller, probably not really a plus skater uh, at this point. I mean, he can be. He's so hard to get the puck off that it that it looks like it sometimes. He can go McDavid end to end here and there. But I, I still don't think you'd call him like a plus burner uh, on the wings. Um, then you add Chase on Pearson Dickinson, and you're just not fast enough. You're just not fast enough that way. So I really like Alex Chason as just a, you know what, you know what he is Farhan and this matters. He's NHL depth. He's like real NHL depth. Like when Nick Patan, you know, when you guys get guys like Nick Patan or Will Lockwood, who's totally have played themselves well, uh, or like acquitted themselves well, considering like when you get them up, like Patan to me is like an NHL, he's NHL level depth, but he's sort of tweener. Will Lockwood's probably not ready for primetime yet still, right? He's still an AHL player who can give you NHL games. Alex Chason's an NHL player, period. And so I like I like that in your organization at the right price, particularly given his pe- power play utility. But I think you have to be very careful in how you construct your forward group if you're going to have, you know, basically everyone except Bo Horvat be sort of an, an average skater at best. Like, I, I don't think you can win that way as a team. And so there's, um, you know, a balance, I suppose, that the organization will have to think through, particularly because we know what Rutherford likes in his teams and a bunch of guys with average speed ain't it. No, it's a great point. Like, when you look at it in terms of overall roster construction, it, it's fair. Uh, individually and at the right price, you know, maybe it fits, but you can't make that decision in a vacuum. And and certainly they're going to look at options with Jason Dickinson and they may look at options with Connor Garland and, um, you know, possibly with Tanner Pearson too. But you're right. I mean, all of them together. You touched on Will Lockwood. Boy, I like what I've seen from him. I, I really do. And to have him as a physical presence who maybe isn't a plus skater, but he's he's certainly not slow. Sorry, we're, he's we're, a plus skater. Lockwood's a plus skater. Yeah, and so, yeah. so you look at a guy like Lockwood as a homegrown player in your bottom six, which is what this organization has been lacking so much. We had Ryan Johnson on, Harm and I did, in the show last week. Great and, show, by the way. Well, thank you. And, and he talked Better about- Better without me. <laughs> <laughs> Better with Ryan Johnson. And he yeah. talked about- um, you know, the examples of Zach McEwen and Jonah Gadjevich, and Jonah's certainly not a plus skater, but those two guys as guys that have come through their system and are playing in the NHL, they're not playing for the Canucks, right? So to have a guy like Lockwood come through, I think he, the way he plays that physical element and his skating ability in your bottom six coming through your own pipeline, I think that's a win. And he might be closer than you think. And he might be a player that needs to play at this level in order to determine whether he's capable of playing at this level. And the lessons he needed to learn in the AHL may have been learned there in that, not that he's a perfect polished product yet, but that he he needs to learn them here now, right? Like there's certain things that the AHL can't continue to teach you. You go there to refine, but you need to be tested at this level to, sh- to understand this is how I have to play all the time. You can't simulate that at the AHL level. So for me, I got all the time in the world for Will Lockwood on the opening day roster next year on the Canucks fourth line, right? But again, you don't sure. make that decision in a vacuum, right? Like in a perfect world, you could move off of some other contracts and some other pieces so that you can fit him in. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to be batting an eyelash at Alex Chason, Brad Richardson, and Will Lockwood as a fourth line next to open next season. You don't but, at 37. You don't want Brad Richardson here next year, do you? Uh, he's been awesome on the PK. I'm totally happy with Brad Richardson in my lineup. He's been so good four on five. Yeah, so good. I mean, if they get if they get Brandon Sutter back next year, doesn't that solve that at a younger age and similar money now? Given what no, what I mean, thought? I mean, no matter what, you have to have redundancies built in for Brandon Sutter. Like even even if the yeah, long fair. COVID thing had never happened, that would be true. So you can't you can't go into another season being like Brandon Sutter's are you know everyday right handed centerman who's going to win draws for us and crush it on the PK. Like you need. You need so much more than that. You know, but that's you're talking the, about a bunch of guys now that are 13th forwards. Well, totally. But you still need those guys, especially because you're going to lose some guys off waivers because you need to staff Abbotsford. You know, I mean, you think yeah. about this team, like the Abbotsford Canucks probably went into the season thinking that their top pair would be Kyle Burrows and Brad Hunt, neither of whom played a game for them. Right. I mean, that's how quickly things change in terms of a, like the, the, that depth layer between organizations. Right. Um, yeah. So my view of it basically is that the Canucks should, you know, if you bring back Alex Chase on fine, if you if you decide that you want to carve out a role for Will Lockwood and roll a fourth line, that's like Highmore Lamico Lockwood next season. Like, I like that a lot better than what I just said. So really what I'd be looking at is probably like Chase on Richardson, Patan, it's kind of like, you know, your your 13th through 16th forwards. Like if you if that's your mix, that's fine. It's fine. It doesn't kill you. What's going to kill this Canucks team, you know, I, I think is going to be again it, it, and without significant upgrades is that layer of players where, you know, what are you what are you getting from your third line? Like you don't want to be in a situation again where Lamico, Highmore, and Mott play over their heads for a f- for a few months, and you're like, "Oh wow, look at what this team looks like with a third line that can that can you know do stuff." It's like, no, like that. It'd be cool if that was your fourth line that could do stuff, and you also had a third line that had some guys who could play two way hockey, help you in a matchup role, and produce you know thirty to thirty five points a year. Like that's those are the players you win with. That's what this organization's been far too sorely lacking for year after year after year. And, you know, then you also need to reconstruct a defense and, and make sure that the second most expensive blue line in the NHL doesn't both struggle to defend and struggle to break the puck out. There's a lot of work to do. No, there is. <laughs> we know that. Um, I want to get to the defense in a minute and Vasily Podkolzin, but first time for one quick break. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. You talked about the Canucks blue line, Drancer. Let me ask you this. If you had a blue line tomorrow that included Quinn Hughes, Luke Shen, Jack Rathbone, Travis Dermott, Kyle Burrows, Brad Hunt, full stop, versus the same, and you know, whatever you're going to get to fill out seven and eight, uh, verse, and, and I don't know if I'm missing anybody there, versus 
that same blue line with the current second pairing of Ekman Larson and Tyler Myers. Forget the cap situation because we all know that. But just in terms of replacement level players, in terms of production, in terms of, you know, just what they've given you in top three minutes, um, how much significantly better off? And we acknowledge that Myers plays heavy minutes, that there has been a somewhat of a bounce back, especially when he was healthy for Oliver Ekman Larson this season. How much worse off are you in scenario A without? Well, it depends what you're trying to accomplish. I mean, yeah, we know they're not a contender. We know they're not right. a contender. But you so, know, we've talked before about paying crazy money for essentially players that have performed at a replacement level. Yeah, although, I mean, Ekman, Larson, and Myers have been above that, right? Yeah. They've been but, like one-win players or half-win players. Um, at their current contracts, like with their current cap hits factored in, I, I don't think they're efficient, but they are still really good, and I thought they were really good this week. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, there's no way, there's no way you can spend this much on your blue line and get this type of return. Like, there's no way there. You'll never win. You'll never win with the, this blue line constructed at this luxurious price point, considering what they can give you as a group. Uh, you, never, never. You will never win with that. And so, you know figuring out how to dismantle and improve it, how to get both better and cheaper on the back end. I mean, for me, that's task one for the Canucks, probably like that's task number one. And then it's find more elite talent. And then it's flesh out your forward depth in a meaningful way. Like that's the player. player I forgot. The player I forgot was Tucker Pullman. And based on what's happened here, oh, terrible, mis- you know, and forget the fact that, you know, we, we didn't like the contract before just on a human level. Um, that's a terrible situation. Like for him to play miss 26 games, like that's a big sample size for migraines as opposed to concussion. And I'm sure there was a bit of both rolled into that. Um, but 26 games, you make it through like five minutes of hockey, one period and your season's over. That's hu- that's a huge concern for an organization huge. that's still dealing with it with Michael Furlan. Oh, just awful. And and you know Tucker Pullman, I didn't like him with Quinn Hughes earlier earlier in the year. I didn't think his game suited it, uh, suited Quinn Hughes. But he'd really won me over as just a defensively reliable uh, two way D. Uh, well, one way D, but nonetheless a, a defensively reliable contributor. I, I was get I was coming to really appreciate his game, um, even even while maintaining reservations about the contract um just awful just awful wish him the best nothing nothing else to be said about it really like you just wish uh, wish him the best and you hope that this is one of those situations that turns at some point as opposed to one that you know continues to tail a player uh throughout their career which we've seen you're right with furland and and they're just such gutting stories to cover um just awful just terrible what's happened yeah, because, I mean, you know, you have to believe that a whole offseason off will give them an opportunity to attempt to play again next season, but then you're kind of one more of these episodes before your career's in question and your quality of life is in question, and those things are so much more important. So hopefully for him, um, you know, uh, th- that there is a complete recovery here uh, that allows him to, to first have a good life with his family, and, and secondly, if, if – He's in a position to begin next season and continue his career great, you know, and, and from a from a Canucks standpoint, which is way at the back of the bus on this, um, he like 
Tucker Pullman's yours now, right? Like based on this, there's going to be, you know, no market if you ever had a, an interest in moving him. So you've got to make sure that you deal with him in the most, you know, most human way possible and, you know, just short term and long term because, you know, he's not going to be in your organization for, for the entirety of his contract. Um, and, and you hope that, that he's healthy and everything gets dealt with properly. And certainly we have no reason to believe the Canucks, even the old management, let alone the new management would, would treat him, uh, you know, with any level of, um, callousness because that's just not how they're wired. I think they'll do right by him and make sure that he's in the best position to move forward. So, you know, our, our best of luck and best wishes to Tucker Pullman. Um, as far as, uh, as far as Vasily Pod Colson is concerned. We've talked about him a lot while you've been away and just the improvement that we've seen from him. And we've seen it in bits and pieces all the way through. But now you had a situation in the last game where both he and Lockwood were out in the last three minutes trying to defend a one-goal lead. They're earning trust. He's so much more confident with the puck. Yeah, he's not scoring goals or producing offense, but you can just see it. You know, there was there was a moment where he, you know, exited the puck in the in the game uh, the other day where, you know, he goes to his left, looks to make a play. He's cut off, turns, goes to his right, skates the puck out. Like there's just so much confidence in his game. Um, and you said at the beginning of the year that we, we were going to see a different player at the end of the year than we did at the beginning. Um, and it's not about points. It's just about confidence with the puck. It's a, it's a physicality. It's the language. It's everything. He's second among Canucks forwards over the past week in five on five ice time. That speaks volumes. Man. Wow. Like, you know, he's, uh, yeah, he's played exceptionally well. And I think you're beginning to see him assert himself on games, something that, you know, we saw from him a fair bit at lower levels. Um, you know, he, he, he's a thinker, like he's a guy who thinks the game at a really high rate. And I think it takes a while to recognize patterns to, to think about the player we saw. Like, I remember watching him play in Philly. Was that the second game of the year right after Edmonton? And he was turning his back to the puck carrier in the offensive zone because that's how you defend in Europe, right? You need to know where everyone else is on the ice because on the big surface in a possession game, that's sort of what you, how you need to play. And against NHL players, if you turn your back on them for a second, they will pick you apart. And I just remember seeing this and being like, oh boy, this kid is not ready. And by mid-November, he looked different to me. And then he had a bit of a lull. For a couple of months, which makes sense. Again, he's never probably played this much hockey. Um, certainly not at this level. And now you're seeing a guy emerge from that. Uh, once again, you know, mature, having figured a couple things out. And so it's going to be really fascinating to watch now because if he can level up a little bit here on that entry level deal, if he can be a middle six heavy press type player, like that's a huge outcome for this team. And if he can be even better than that, like a, a guy who actually drives good two-way results, a plus defensive contributor, maybe a guy they even think about grooming into a PK spot, a PK role. Um, that's tremendous. And, and then here's the last part is at some point here, they're going to be able to airdrop Patan, Pod Colson, and Lockwood back into the AHL for the Calder Cup playoffs. And that's a tremendous opportunity too, where Pod Colson can play Big power play minutes, big penalty kill minutes, um, be sort of a stud player for them, um, you know, potentially as they look to make a playoff run in in an Abbotsford market that, you know, the club's made a big bet on. So it's a pretty vital couple of months here for Pod Colson. It's not just about the stretch run, although what he's doing there is massive and, and hugely impressive. It's also about what we see from him when he gets a chance to be the man. 
And I think at that point, we'll have a better sense of exactly where he's going. Because for all that there's a lot to like in terms of the qualitative side, right? The way that his shots just laser to a top corner, uh, the size, the the hands, all of that stuff. You know, 10 goals, 19 points in your age 20 season doesn't scream future superstar, right? I mean, that's not off the charts. Like we're looking at Pod Colson and saying he's going to be an absolute animal um, in this league necessarily, right? Like, I think we need to see more um, before we're going to be suggesting that he's like poised to, you know, be a Mark Stone type or whomever, whatever big two way beast you want to throw out there. I, I think we've seen him make a really good start, but I think we need to be pretty conservative engaging what's next for him. I think there's the the leap from where he's at now, which is, you know, basically um, an effective energy line bottom six piece right now to being like a stud middle six press to maybe being, you know, a top, a top six middle six press. I mean, th- those are really big steps uh, that he still has to take, I think, to be, you know, the type of player that a lot of Canucks fans have dreamt on here. Yeah, you know, and, and you mentioned the, the penalty killing piece, right? Like, I would love to see him if, you know, once it's official that they're not getting into the playoffs, I'd love to see him and Lockwood get a little bit of time on the PK just so you can, again, t- try to groom him. And I know it's early. He's still a rookie player. But when the games are meaningless, there's no reason not to give him those opportunities. Uh, you know, just like we've talked about Dermot as, as a top four guy, you know, with his minutes and things like that. I, I think I think there's opportunity there to see some guys in different roles and see what they can do. Um, Connor Garland... Finally scored after 19 games, and and it was a, it was a good goal, right? I mean, it was a good shot. It was a goal scorer's goal. It was a confident player. Uh, you know, you could say maybe the passing lane got taken away a little bit, but just the way he set it up, the way he looked it off, and and it was a decisive shot. Uh, good for him. And you hope that a he can rebuild some confidence down the stretch here, and b potentially rebuild some value if the club decides to make a move on him this offseason. Well, I'm not sure you're going to see him rebuild trade value over this over this stretch at this point. So, I think if that's your if that's your goal here, you're going to need to be looking longer term. You know, if if your goal is to rebuild his value, I think you need to be looking at next season. Um, you need to be looking at a world where other moves happen first, and you make him a fixture PP one guy, and sort of really spend a half year doing it like it's not a project that you can accomplish for me over the balance of the season in nine games um no matter how hot he runs so you know there's play like connor garland's a divisive player a divisive player in the industry there's people who love him love the game think he's a top line forward top six forward at worst uh and then there's people who you know think that he's not big enough to win games when it matters period and you know that like he's a not play the type in tournament game like a play in tournament game uh there's people who just think when the going gets heavy he's his skills aren't going to translate so um you know i don't think you can rebuild his value over the course of these last eight, nine games but certainly you'd like to see him continue to play well I, for me too like he's played well the chances just haven't gone in for him that that you know he's one of those guys who if he's saying like i'd be more worried if i wasn't getting chances that would be true that would not be spin he's done what he he's done what we expect it's just the finishing hasn't been there he's been on a brutal run of luck and so you know 
Connor Garland's one of those guys I think is really good and don't worry about too much. And that, you know, is, is consistent here. Can we talk? I want to talk quickly about Spencer Martin. Do it. Yeah. The contract, a one way deal for next year for the next two years. Yeah. So, and, and basically locks the Canucks into a $5.762 million cap hit in net. That's going to be bottom 10 in the NHL for sure. And, you know, I think you'll look at that and say, hey, the, the, those two are a very good bet between Demko and Martin. A very big bet to give the Canucks average goaltending at least. However, within the industry, I think there's a sense, too, that, you know, Martin's track record at the NHL level remains shallow. And that, you know, for a team that's leaned as heavily on Demko as the Canucks have, right, you're you're probably one injury away from a season-killing ailment, right? I, I mean, something that you really couldn't withstand. Maybe Spencer Martin deserves more credit than that. Um, I certainly am impressed with what he's done since arriving in Vancouver. So, But, you know, there's huge upside with this bet, which would be having a top 10 save percentage tandem at a bottom 10 investment cap wise, right? That's the upside of this bet. But there's also a lot of risk, a lot of downside here. If the Canucks do, in fact, just roll with, you know, Spencer Martin as a th- as a, as their backup next year, which is their plan. And, um, you know, he's ultimately not up to the task. I, I also do wonder what this means for Mike DiPietro's future in the organization. Um, pretty clear who the starter is in Utica at the moment. Um, you know, DiPietro's handling over the past couple of years has been mystifying, to put it mildly. And now the Canucks have, you know, I mean, he's going to be expiring. He's going to be an RFA. They're going to need to negotiate another deal. He'll still be waiver exempt. So it's not like there's pressure on them. He can go down and be the third goaltender in, in Utica, but, or sorry, Utica in Abbotsford. But the way that this has been timed, I, I think poses some big questions about whether or not DiPietro is still a goaltender in this club's future plans. Yeah, I mean, I think it's too early to, to punt on him. And you could get a situation, like you say, that if Demko all of a sudden gets injured, it, it gives him a new opportunity. And last year was tough, right? I mean, basically a lost season because of because of COVID restrictions in and around the AHL and, and things of that nature. So um, I think there's still time there. I mean, I'm sure he's going to run out of patience at some point, much like Demko did, right? Like he got to a point where he said, I want to be in the big club. And, you know, his agent made that clear. Um, so that, you know, that certainly could happen here. But um, I think it's a bet the Canucks have to make. You talk about Demko and Martin, given how they're spending money elsewhere in the organization, they've got to gamble somewhere. And yeah, and it's in goal, right? And you've got an elite number one who in the last two games that he's played has again played like that in that the, the strange goal hasn't gone past him, right? Like you, you can't look at any goal in these, those two games and look and kind of side eye Demko and all in context of how incredible he's been. But, you know, they've won two of three and, and that hasn't happened, right? So the key save at the key time, and we've seen Canuck one-sided wins earlier that really weren't one-sided, if not for a couple of key saves by Demko. And that happened in the Vegas game. And uh, certainly, you know, he he was key in the San Jose game as well when they started making their push, right? So uh, he's back to to that level where he's, you know, elite without the strange goals, whereas for a couple of weeks there, he was elite with the admitted strange goals. So, uh, you know, certainly they're in a good position in goal going forward. But to circle back on Martin, I mean, this is a guy that started number five in the organization 
and eventually got himself in a position where he's three and many would like to see him at two. That's a pretty good year for a guy that's been just a journeyman and, you know, didn't even have an NHL win in three years up until now. Um, a, a tremendous win uh, for him. I mean, he's earned himself his first ever one-way contract. So congratulations to Spencer Martin. I think you're right too. Once you factor in the Holtby 1.9, right? And the um, Halak, Halak 1.25. And yeah. he's really put himself in a, in a position to, to get to 1.5 now, right? I mean, there's a real chance that he ends up costing the Canucks the full 1.5 million. Uh, and then the other thing to track in terms of the sort of cap situation here that's an interesting one is um, Vasily Podkolzin's plus minus. <laughs> and actually his ice time now that he's now that he's playing a ton more. But uh, currently Vasily Podkolzin is among Canucks forwards and they have to have played a certain number of games. I believe it's 42. He's plus seven, which is two back of Tanner Pearson and two back of JT Miller. If he finishes top three among Canucks forwards by plus minus, he'll get an additional quarter million bonus, which will count as an overage next season, right? So there's <laughs> there's more dead money. Yeah. Um, and then he's also got a time on ice bonus. He that's probably there's probably too much ground to make up there in terms of aggregate time on ice. It would require a lengthy injury to Besser or Garland, like almost ending their season at this point. Cause he, he'd have to catch up about 200 minutes. So I think they're probably okay there, even though his uh, ice time is climbing. Um, so, yeah, so I don't think they'll have too much of an additional issue. Now the plus minus bonus is an interesting one, by the way, from a Canucks perspective, here's a, here's a funny organizational story for you. Ready? The, the Canucks, not all entry-level contracts that the Canucks sign include... So there's Schedule A and there's Schedule B bonuses. And Schedule A bonuses are what we're talking about. 212.5 is sort of your max Schedule A bonuses. These are the ones that we use to track with Hughes and Pedersen every year, right? Um, they're pretty hard to hit. They're like high levels of performance. But there's a couple that you can hit more easily and one of them is a plus-minus bonus. You have to have played a minimum of 42 games. You have to be top three among forwards in plus-minus. And one year, the Canucks had Brendan Gauntz hit a plus minus bonus for 212.5K. And I think he was like minus one, you know, and had like played like eight minutes a night, like, you know, just like one of those brutal, um, you know, mid Jim Benning era seasons where like Chapu and Magna were playing <laughs> big minutes. And Brendan Gauntz earns, you know, a quarter million dollars for being minus one, <laughs> which oh, is top wow. three among forwards on the team. So the organization for a, for a little bit stopped kind of doing the plus minus bonuses like Niels Hoaglander does not have a plus minus bonus. I, I've confirmed that. Um, but Pod Colson does because when you're top 10 pick, you have real leverage. You know what I mean? Like you're just not uh, for a player in his situation with KHL negotiating leverage. You know, you're just not s even spending the time discussing that. Just just let's get you under contract. Let's get it done. Right. So. Uh, Pod Colson has his, and that could cost the Canucks another 212.5. Anyway, point being, you're right. The Canucks had to take a big swing, and frankly, their situation cap-wise is so ugly that they won't even be able to benefit from the upside of a Martin-Demco tandem, like the gamble. Even if it works, they won't benefit from it next season because once you factor in the 1.9 and the maybe additional 1.5, you're bringing the Canucks back up to probably above league average in terms of aggregate goalie spend against the cap next season. It's really the year after 
right? It's next year where, yeah, in fact, once you add those guys in, the Canucks are going to be spending close to $8 million. That's going to be top five or top six in the NHL next year uh, in net. So <laughs> their situation is so dire cap-wise that they won't even realize the benefits of the Martin Gamble, even if it pays off for another year beyond this one, which all goes back to why, um, you know, <laughs> I've, I've been so nauseated <laughs> on occasion in covering this group to, to be this, to be this pot committed on one team, one year, and to be in 10th in the Pacific or 10th in the West. It's just galling to me far. Yeah. I can't get line, over it. You know, right now we got to be at the point where we can't hang it on this management group. We know the shortcomings of the last one. So we got to give these guys a chance to dig themselves out of it, much like they did with the Travis Hamannick trade. Right. So, uh, they got one done. Maybe they can get one more done this offseason and um, be heading that way. But yeah, there's, there's no way you you can't look at so many different contracts and just shake your head repeatedly at, at some of the decisions Jim Benning made. But here we are. They got a new group's got to clean it up. Um, and uh, you kind of knew it was going to turn out that way. As for the Canucks this week, they play tomorrow night against Vegas. They play Thursday against Arizona. The schedule is spread out for them. Then a massive game. Now, if, assuming they win these two, a massive game against Dallas next Monday as the first of back-to-backs. They'll play Ottawa on the Tuesday, and you'd think Halak would play in that game. But, you know, right now with nine games to go, I think they've got to go 8-0-1 to get in. Is that is that a reasonable assessment? Um, yeah. I mean, I think you have to win every game. Like, I just, I, you have to win every game. You only have nine games left. You only have 18 more points. Yeah, okay. So you can drop one. Maybe you, you drop, drop one, one point. You could go eight zero and one if you if you had an OTL somewhere in there. Yeah, and that that, that gets you to ninety seven, ninety six. Yeah, so you may you know what eight eight one and zero. You can go probably you can probably lose one game, the rest of the way. Well, that that's tr- conventional math based on the previous years of the number it took to get in. But when you look at some of these teams and the way they're playing, it might take a little more this year. Yeah, I mean, no one's ever missed at ninety six uh, ninety seven points. So yeah. based on that, like historic number which is like 97 and you're in for sure only two teams have ever missed at 96 so your your odds of missing at 96 are very low historically speaking so you know that would dictate 96 to to be a hundred percent in every year you can afford to drop one more point that's it um but realistically could you could you go eight one and oh and still make it maybe maybe and of course all of this should be moot the canucks should be racing to play a play-in game um, <laughs> uh, you know, that's that's really where we should be. Uh, we should. Yeah, we should. We've seen it before in the bubble. We liked it then. We'd like it again. Now, you've got Gary's number on speed dial. You give him a call. Let him know where we're at. I do not have his number, and he will not take my call. <laughs> <laughs> uh, meanwhile, if you're looking for other pod options, Katie Strang, Ian Mendez, and Dan Robson join Craig Custance and Sean Gentili on the Athletic Hockey Show USA on Tuesday. So that is like a power hour with those five. Former NHL referee Dave Jackson joins Rob Pizzo, Sarah Sivian, and Jesse Granger on the roundtable on Wednesday's edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. And as for us, thanks for listening to the VanCast. Please follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Don't forget to leave a rating and a review. And right now you can get annual subscriptions to The Athletic for just $1 a month for six months when you visit theathletic.com slash VanCast. We are back on Wednesday after the Vegas game. Are you still going to be Are you still going to be uh, in a sunny locale? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Attaboy. Yeah. Yeah. For, Dran- for Drancer. But, but I'll be back home. working. I'll be back working. I'm, I'm just going to be 
working from a sunny locale. <laughs> just, just make sure you put on some sunscreen. Oh, I, I'm all every day. You strike me as one of those who would really burn. Um, no, I, I'm not. I have that like nice um, Eastern European olive skin from my grandma's side, so I um, I tend to be relatively burn resistant. I get a nice base. I'm uh, I'm very fortunate. All right, I'll take your word for it. Yep. For, for Drancer, I'm Farhan. Thanks for logging on. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you again on Wednesday. <laughs>